Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, I, I remember uh, when our oldest son was maybe 10 years old. His school was having a track meet, and there was going to be a lot of schools participating. And so he was chosen to run in a race that was about a mile long. And um, I'll never forget, they, they shot the gun, and all the kids started running. My son, I mean, he took off, and he was killing it. He was just by far faster than anybody in the, in the race. And they come around literally to the last stretch, maybe the last 50 yards or so, and he has got a sizable lead. And I don't know what happened, but he kind of took his foot off the gas just a little bit and, and started to coast. And we're watching him going, come on, come on, go, go. But he's like looking around, smiling. He's like, I got this one covered. And um, the kid that was in second place was gaining on him, but he didn't realize it. He looked over his shoulder. About that time, that kid passed him, crossed the finish line before he did. He was so upset because he literally had the race run, but he quit uh, running at full pace. And he learned a very valuable lesson that day. And here's the lesson. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. One of my favorite Aesop's fables is the tortoise and the hare. Remember that one? It's a story about a turtle racing a rabbit. And you know how the outcome should be is a rabbit's much faster. But if you know the story, the rabbit realizes that he is much faster. And so he kind of uh, gets distracted and doesn't really put a lot of effort into it. Meanwhile, the tortoise is just putting one foot in front of the other, and he's just pressing on. He's just not giving up. And eventually, he wins the race, much to the dismay of the, of the hare, but he wins the race. And of course, we know the moral is that, you know, slow and steady wins the race, but also, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I know a lot of people, and you probably know many people, who have started off on some endeavor, and they started off like gangbusters. They were doing really good out of the gate, but unfortunately, something happened somewhere, and the next thing you know, everything kind of derailed. Maybe it was someone who got in their marriage that happened with that. You, you probably met people. You may be someone who did that. You, you get married, and everything's great. You have the honeymoon. It's perfect. You come home. You live a life for a couple years, and you're doing pretty good. And then next thing you know, you're filing for divorce. What happened? Well, they didn't finish well. It happens in businesses all the time. People start off really good, and I don't know what happens, but they get careless or Start taking shortcuts, and next thing you know, they're filing for bankruptcy. It happens with people on their walk with God, unfortunately. I see it all the time. Someone gets real excited. They hear a message about the gospel. They give their life to Jesus. They're on fire for God. They show up every time the doors are open for a month, two months, a year, two years, whatever. And then the next thing you know, you start looking around and go, whatever happened to so-and-so? And you're like, I don't really know. Goes, well... I'll tell you what happened. They started well, but they didn't finish well. It's kind of a flash in the pan, a one-hit wonder kind of deal. And that's not what any of us wants to do. Um, there's a professor at Fuller Seminary named Robert Clinton, and he says that he believes that leaders, only 70% um, 70 of leaders do not finish well. I mean, think about that. 70% of leaders do not finish well. And then he lists some reasons why, and among those reasons, listen to some of these reasons. 
He says people come to the point where they stop learning, listening, and growing. That's very true, isn't it? Second thing, he says, sometimes it's because their character wanes a little bit. We see that all the time, especially in the church world. Third reason, he says, is because people stop living by their convictions. And another reason, he says, they, they lose their once vibrant relationship with God. All of these are reasons why leaders don't finish well. And I don't want to be a statistic, and I don't think any of us do. So today, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the series, Chasing the Wind, where we've been looking at the life of this king of Israel, the third king of Israel named Solomon. And he's following in his foot, the footsteps of his father, David, who was the best king that Israel ever had. Now, David um, started well, finished well, but he, in the middle, he didn't do too well. He, he got off track, which is pretty consistent, I think, with most people. So when I talk about starting well and finishing well, understand that sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. I don't think it's linear for anybody. A lot of times we don't get it right all the time. However, that should be the, the kind of the trajectory of how we live our lives. So Solomon is going to take over for David. And then, of course, he's realizing that he's in over his head because he's never led anything. And he's now been chosen as the next king of Israel when his father dies. Those are big sandals to fill, by the way. And there's this, uh, you're going to see that his life kind of starts good and then he crashes and burns and then he doesn't finish well. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to paint a scenario for you today because I think this will help as we look at this. So I'm going to do this message a little different. I'm going to, I'm going to, here's what I want us to kind of visualize. I want you to picture yourself sitting down with the wisest person that's ever lived. And you have free access to him. He's invited you to come to talk to him. And you're sitting down at Starbucks over a cup of coffee. And he is going to, about to drop wisdom on you about life and what you need to do to be successful. And again, this is the wisest man that's ever lived. And he's giving you a few minutes of his time and he's going to tell you about his own life with the benefit of hindsight. At the end of his life, he's saying, here's the mistakes I've made. Here's some highs. Here's some lows. Here's some things that I learned. Here's some things that I don't want you to repeat. And I just want you to learn from me. So I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. So picture yourself in that scenario, okay? Now, what we're going to do from there is we're going to start with the first point that I'm going to give you is a snapshot of his life when he begins as the king of Israel. The second snapshot is about midway through there where he gets derailed, he gets distracted, he starts living life outside of the will of God, and this is where he makes his mistakes. This is where he, he starts kind of faltering a little bit, and that's the second point that we're gonna have is gonna be right there in the t and where he made his mistakes. And then we're gonna jump ahead to the end of his life where he's sitting down kind of in a fatherly way, speaking to us and saying, now here's where I am and here's my final conclusion about life. So let's jump in and let's start with point one right when he begins as the king. And I believe if he was sitting across the table from us and telling us how, you know, how important it is to finish well, I think he would give the first bit of advice he would give us is this, we need to live life wisely. We need to live life wisely. Now, wisdom was the mantra of Solomon. Everywhere you look, when you see the life of Solomon, he's talking about wisdom. He writes the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And in that, over and over again, he repeats the value of wisdom. He says, you need to get wisdom above all else. Pursue it like, like someone pursuing valuable riches and, and, and gold and those things. You just put that kind of effort into pursuing wisdom. 
Now, in the early part, again, in this part we're looking at now, he's just become the king. He's overwhelmed. He's inexperienced. He's in over his head, and he knows it. He's young, and he's humble, and he's hungry, and he's teachable at this point in his life. And he knows that now that his father has died, he's given the task of being the king, which he has never done before. He's never led anything. And he knows that wisdom is what he needs most. And here's the story. Here's how it plays out as we read in 2 Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. That night, and again, he's just, he just, his dad's died. He's become the king. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and the knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you, you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. Think about that. What would you have asked for in that kind of that dream that he has that night as he's, he's figuring out what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's, he's real anxious about this new position and God shows up and says, ask for anything you want, I'll give it to you. I mean, most of us would have asked for something very selfish, right? I want to be rich. I want to be famous, all those things. And Solomon realizes because he's in this point in his life, again, he's very humble. He says, no, I don't want those things. What I want is I'm about to step into this big role, and I don't want to blow it. And God, what I want is I want wisdom and knowledge. I need to know how to do this. I don't have a clue. And God said, bingo. Way to go, man. Because you asked for that knowledge and, 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 and wisdom, because you asked for that, I'm going to give that to you. But not only want I do that, give you that, I'm going to give you the, for the things that most people would have asked for. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you in other ways. And he did. So Solomon became the wisest person that ever lived, the richest person that ever lived, had more fame, possessions, all those things that you could possibly have. But he asked for wisdom. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles uh, first Kings, sorry, First Kings 4.29 says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. So God pours it out on Solomon. Now, knowledge and wisdom are good. Knowledge is good. Wisdom is better. They're not the same. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, the accumulation of facts. Knowledge is what you need when you go on Jeopardy, right? That's what you need. Knowledge, a lot of knowledge, you got to be able to share some things that you learn. And it's good. Knowledge is great. But wisdom is better because wisdom is how you take what you know and apply it to life. So you can live life in a way that honors God and, and, and just makes sense. But a lot of people have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. All of us have some sort of knowledge. Let me, let me give you a little knowledge quiz to show you what I'm talking about. All right. Play along with me, if you will. How many feet are in a yard? That's not a trick question. How many feet in a yard? Oh, boy, it's going to be tough. Okay, how many feet in the yard? Let's try it again. Three. Thank you. Boy, that was a rough crowd around, a rough crowd. All right, so here we go. Um, here's the second question. How many yards in a football field? 100. What's the capital of South Carolina? What was the uh, name of the town Andy Griffith lived in? 
What were the name of the four beetles? Yeah, yeah, I heard him. What years uh, did Clemson win a national championship in football? 1981, 2016, 2018, right? What year did the University of South Carolina win a national championship? Oh, they never have. That's right. What do you know? Oh. Yeah, that was their national championship yesterday. Okay. That's where he, this is really a lesson of starting, and, starting a, a good and then not finishing well. Clemson yesterday. That was exactly the example. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there are a lot, there's a lot of knowledge rolling around out there. And it's great to have knowledge. I don't want to knock it because that's why we go to school. We get knowledge. But wisdom is better. I know so many people that have a lot of education and a lot of knowledge. They're really smart people. If you go in their office, they've got a, diplomas on the wall with lots of letters after their name. They're smart people. Unfortunately, many of those people don't have wisdom. When it comes to their marriages, they don't know how to live that out. They know a lot of facts, but they don't really live that. When it comes to their finances, when it comes to raising their kids, when it comes to what their walk with God, they don't have a lot of wisdom. Knowledge is good, wisdom is better. And Solomon is sitting across the table from us, and he's saying to all of us, what you need to pursue is wisdom. Live your life wisely. If you're gonna, it's good to start you know, well, but it's good to finish well. And in order to do that, you need wisdom. Now, here's the thing that I love about it, is that for a lot of us, you know, we, we, we say, all right, Solomon says, pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom. How do you find that? Well, again, he's not talking about worldly wisdom. He's talking about godly wisdom. And the best part about it is that it's available for free. Here's what James says. He said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. Like, there is no reason all of us should not be living our lives with wisdom because it's available God says, if you need it, just ask. I think one of the things that every single one of us should do every morning when we wake up, one of our prayers should be, God, grant me wisdom today. Because I'm going to face, I'm going to be having decisions I got to make. I got choices I got to make. I'm going to have some situations ahead of me today. I don't know what those are, but you do. And you know a lot more than me. And I need wisdom today. And I believe that's what Solomon would tell us. Again, if we're going to finish well, we need to live our life wisely. The second thing I think he would tell us is that we need to live our lives obediently. Live life obediently. Now, obedience is one of those things that, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word obedient, it's, it's not usually a, like, a, I don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Do you? Like, I bristle. Obedient. Be obedient? Obedient. Like there's a rebellious side of all of us, of our sinful nature that still says, no, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I don't want anybody to tell me differently. Like that's just the way we are. And I think the, the struggle we have is that when we come to the point where we're going, okay, God has asked me to live obediently. Now, please understand here, as a follower of Jesus, our attitude ought to be not, well, I'm going to go kicking and screaming. I don't want to do this. It ought to be, I need to pursue obedience, not because I have to, but because I want to. Because here's what I know. Every time I have yielded um, my own will to God's will and I have been obedient to his word and his, the Holy Spirit's leading inside of me, my life goes better. But every time I reject that and do things my own way, my life doesn't go as well. I know that from experience and so do you. So what we have to do is we need to swallow our pride and say, I'm going to live my life obediently. Now, obedience, uh, let me give you a scripture and then we'll come back to something. Okay, so here, here's... Here's where he, again, we're in the middle part of his life. 
He started well. He's like, God, please give me wisdom to know how to handle your people, to govern these people. And God says, okay, I'm going to give that to you. But now some years, has gone, years have gone by. And now, again, he's reflecting. He's got the benefit of hindsight, and he's going to tell us the second point. And this is where he, he makes his mistake. He's no longer living obediently to God. And that's why I think he's given this, his wisdom to us in telling us that. So let's look at where the wheels fell off for Solomon. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. His weakness was, one, among others, was women. He loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and, and among the, from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Watch this. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And watch what happens. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had, done, had been. And then it says in verse 9, the Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Sad part of his life, right? This part of his life where God says, Solomon and all of Israel, here's what you need to understand. When you go into these foreign lands, don't marry those people. Not because they're bad people, but because they will turn your heart to worship their gods. They're worshiping these false gods. And I don't want you to do that. And so I'm telling you, this, you can't do it. And Solomon had come to the point in his life where now he's no longer teachable and humble. He's cocky. He just figures he knows better than God. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants to do. And so he says, not only gonna, I'm going to intermarry with one, I'm going to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. At this point, you got to question how wise Solomon really was, don't you? Like 700 wives. Just think about his honey-do list for a minute, okay? He just goes to the point where he says, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it with. I know what God says. That's for everybody else, but I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm the king, and I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the rebellious nature that we all have. We may not word it that way, but by our actions, we do it. And here's what you need to understand about obedience. Obedience, when God looking for obedience is not compliance. Compliance is when you do something because you have to do it. You're being forced to do it. That's not what God... What, true obedience begins with being willing to do it. A willingness is what, what we look for. So obedience is, says, God, my sinful nature doesn't want to be obedient, but I'm yielding to you willingly not because I'm being forced to or under any sort of duress. I'm doing it because I yield to you because I believe you know the future, that you are smarter than I am, that you have all wisdom, and, 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 I, and I need you, God, and I'm going to do this, so I'm willing. You know, some of you may know the story. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Abraham. Abraham was known as a father of faith. He's had a lot of faith. And one day God came to him, and he's pretty settled where he's living, and God just shows up and says, hey, Pack up, and you're going to move. And Abraham's like, where are we moving? And God said, I'll show you when you get there. Now, most of us would have gone, what? Abraham's like, okay. Tells everybody, pack up, let's go. He doesn't even know where he's going. He's just willingly obeying God. And contrast that with another Old Testament character named Jonah. 
Jonah, you remember the guy who got, he, God says, go up and go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy them. But he doesn't like the Ninevites, so he wants God to destroy him. So he goes the other way and God has to chase him down and a big fish has to swallow him and all the rest. Not willing at all. There's a difference. When God says we need to do it, we need to be willing to do it. And obedience to be really obedient, it also needs to be immediate. Like when God says that I need to do it, not when I get around to it. That's really important because delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience. Here's an example I like to give about this because a lot of times I go, wait, what do you mean? Well, let's just suppose you told your son or daughter, I want you to cut the lawn when you get home from school. And they don't do it. But three weeks later, they do the lawn. Now, you wouldn't reward them for being obedient, would you? Now, they did it, but they didn't do it when they should. By now, of course, the grass is over your car. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's like, why didn't you do it then? So delayed obedience is disobedience. We need to do it immediately. But thirdly, when it comes to obedience, it needs to be completely, like completely do it. Whatever God says, I knew it to do it all the way, 100%, not 95%, not 99%, 100% complete. If you go to work, here, let me, let me give you an example. If you go to work tomorrow and your boss says, here's what you need to do by the end of the work day today. This is very, very important. I'm giving you these three things to do today. And you do two of them, but you don't do the third one. Your boss is probably not going to walk in the office the next day and give you a raise and say, man, two out of three, let me give you a high five. You're awesome. Way to go. Two out of three. That's pretty good. Um, let me give you a raise. What your boss is going to do is not going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you the pink slip because you were insubordinate. I asked you to do three things. You did two. That's not acceptable. So when you look at obedience, what we really need to do is say, God, I am all in all the time. We sang about it a minute ago. Yes, Lord, you know, I'm available. That's just kind of the idea that whatever God wants, we'll do it. So Solomon, he, he didn't do too good at that. Um, he was, he was kind of like, like I am sometimes, probably you are, where, where I know that I need to do something, but the rebellious side of me says, I'm going to do it my way, or I'm going to do it when I want to, or maybe I won't even do it at all. You ever been on a diet, you go on a diet, and, 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 you're, and it's kind of like the diet, you have to follow the strict rules of calories, and then, but you can't have ice cream or cake or all that stuff, but you really like ice cream or cake. And so you do a couple of good days on your diet, and you go, well, I'm going to reward myself because I've done so good, I'm going to have the ice cream and the cake. And of course, you blow it all. Well, I think this is where Solomon was in his life. He's like, I've been a pretty good king. I've done things well. I followed God for the most part. So now in this particular thing, why not indulge myself? I'm going to marry all these women. I'm going to do what I want to do. And sooner or later, his heart followed. This is the critical point of his life where things derail, okay? And I'm telling you something, guys. Listen, Solomon is talking to us right now across that table, and he's saying, don't follow my footsteps. What in this say? I'm telling you, live wisely, live obediently. And let me give you the third thing I think he would tell us. Live a life that's focused. Live life with focus. Um, focus is really important. Focus, we talked about it last week. Remember the illustration of, of a gymnast on a balance beam, the focus. If you don't focus, you fall, right? Well, this is what Solomon, I think, would tell us at this point in his life. This is the snapshot where he's old now. He's kind of on his deathbed. He's reflecting back on life, and he's saying, here's what I want you to know. I mean, you, yes, live life wisely. I learned that in early days. Live life obediently. That's where I really got messed up. And now I'm just telling you, at the end of my life, here's what I know more than anything. You gotta live life with a focus. 
Because I have been, I've seen the highs and I've seen the lows and I've had the good and I've had the bad. Listen, Solomon had, if you think of wealth and riches and fame and fortune and power, he had it all. He was living his best life every single day. Like there was nothing that he denied himself of. He even said that earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's like, I, anything I wanted, I took. I denied myself no pleasure. And so he's had it all, and yet here's what he's going to tell us at the end of his life. In conclusion, here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what he's telling. Old man sitting down across the table with us, all this wisdom he's pouring out on you. You get his attention for 15, 20 minutes and giving you these life lessons. Here's what he says. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. What he's basically saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Honor him in your youth and never lose that focus. Honor him all the way through your life. Here's what he said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. That's the whole story. He's like, I'm going to sum it all up. This is my life. That's the whole story. And here's now my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. I mean, can't you just picture him telling you this? Like, I'm old now, I'm dying. Here's my final conclusion. I've had it all, I've done it all, and here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. Stay focused on this. If you want to finish well, stay focused. Fear God, obey his commands. I mean, this, this guy... At this point, if he's, think about this. Here's my final conclusion. This is what I figured out living my life. This is it. I'm gonna give it to you in a nutshell. This is it. This is a big moment. At this moment, if there were any other thing that was more important, wouldn't he have said it then? Like, wouldn't he have said, hey, here's my final conclusion. I've done it all, had it all. Let me tell you what it is. Here, listen, here's, the, here's the, what you need to know. Pursue wealth. Like, get filthy rich. That's what you need to do. I've done it. Or he could have said, Hey, here's what you need to do. Like, find pleasure. Like, just go indulge yourself in anything that gives you pleasure. Hold nothing back. Just go for it, man. Or he could have said, here's what you need to do. Get famous. Like, really pursue fame where everybody knows you and get that power, that, that adrenaline high of knowing that. Just, oh, that's so good. Just do that. Or he might have said, you know what would really bring you joy? Here's my final conclusion. Travel all over the world. Go to the finest destinations in the world. I just live it up, man. But he didn't say any of that. You know what he said about that stuff? He says it throughout the book. That's the name of our series. He said it's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. All of those other pursuits are like chasing the wind. They don't mean anything. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, all they bring is regrets. At the end of the life that all of us are, you know, we've been told by the world, that's the stuff you need. And Solomon's saying, I've been there. And I'm telling you, it's not. Here's my final conclusion. Don't do that. That's chasing the wind. Here's what you need to do. Chase God. Chase God. Stay focused. Every step of your life, chase God Fear God, obey his commands. That's what you need to do. Because if you do that, your life will have purpose. It'll have meaning. It will go well for you. That's what we need to do. And I think we know we need to do that. But we need to put it in practice. 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote, I don't know, two-thirds of the New Testament, he was a guy who did not start well, but he finished well. Isn't that good news? That no matter who you are today and what you've done, you might have really, your start, I mean, your whole life at this point might be a train wreck of bad choices. But you don't have to finish that way. That's what the gospel message is all about, that we're all train wrecks. That we're all sinners, separated from God by our sin. But Jesus came and died for us. That's, that's, that's the whole point of everything. But the apostle Paul says, here's what he says. Again, didn't have a good start, but now he's come to the end of his life. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, that's what I want. Isn't that what you want? I mean, like, that's what I want. I, I, want, I want to finish the race well. I, want, I, want, I don't want to be a statistic. We all know people who started really well and actually majority of their life, they get a good, and then a bad decision, a poor choice, something really stupid, and then the next thing you know, their legacy is gone, their life is gone. It's all wasted, and they finish poorly. So no matter where you, how you start it, you don't have to finish that way. The greatest example of someone who started well and finished well and didn't ever waver in between was Jesus himself. First recorded words we have of Jesus. He's 12 years old. Everybody is, they've, they've been, you know, been in the town and now they're leaving. Everybody leaves, but Jesus sticks around. His parents don't realize he's not there. A few days later, they go like, where's Jesus? We don't know. They go back. He's in the temple teaching. Like there's 12-year-old Jesus teaching. And they're like, where were you? You had us scared to death. What are you doing? And he's like, don't you know I must be about my father's business? But he knew his mission. And he started well. And he went all the way to a cross, right? And he lived a perfect life. And he finished well because his last words on the cross, it is finished. None of us wants to be a statistic. I want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want there to be like this, I don't know, this kind of like this caveat that I got sidetracked over here. He did good and he messed up. Well, he came back, but he, I want to I I run the race right. I don't know anybody that's ever not want to run. Everyone I know wants to do that. So what do we do? Put these things in practice. Focus obedience, wisdom, all those things. Put it in and live it out. Some of you today, you know what your, your first choice you need to do, the, 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 the wisest thing anybody could do, and you need to place your faith in Jesus. Because you may be a person who hasn't done too well. You're right now, you, you know, you're, you're kind of just winging it, trying to figure it all out. And I'm telling you, that's no way to live. Even if, you, even if you're a guy like Solomon, I mean, he had a lot of stuff. He wasn't like he was like down and out but he still was in need. He had all the world could offer, but he didn't have the internal stuff that really matters. That may be you. What you need to do is repent of your sin, turn to Jesus, and finish well. Because eternity is waiting. 
you'll spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And that decision of what you do with Jesus will determine that. But not only that, not only will you have your eternity secure in heaven, but he'll give you purpose and meaning in this life as well. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, that's what you need to do today. For some of you, you you've already done that, but you've kind of, you're in that prodigal son or daughter stage where you've wandered a little bit. You're that, where Solomon was, where he started to make some choices on his own, apart from the things of God. And if you don't course correct right, right now, you're not going to finish well. So for you, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some change. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn back to God. What we need to do is we need to be constantly praying for one another because this is a tough world, man, and there are a lot of things that are distracting, and it's real easy to get, next thing you know, you're out in a left field somewhere, and, and, and it's up to, that's what the church is, that, that kind of mutual accountability is so important. Guys, this is, this is real stuff. I mean, I, I picture Solomon talking to me across that table, and I, want to just, I don't want to just hear that stuff. I want to live that. So let's pray together, and let's let God do what he needs to do. Father, thank you. And we can learn from this guy with a lot of wisdom who didn't always use it. And we don't have to make the mistakes he made, and he shares that with us. And I, I really believe that there are people in this room today that their, their step that they need to make today is they need to place their faith in Jesus, period. They've, they, their life right now is a mess. Um, they're living in their sin. They're trying to get through life best they can, but they don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ. They don't know the feeling of having their sins forgiven. They don't understand how important it is to have him through his Holy Spirit guide them for the rest of their life. And if that's you today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you to just lift your hand and say, that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at. I am, I am so frustrated. I don't know what my next step is. I, am, I didn't start well, and I don't feel like I'm going to finish well right now. I need Jesus because of my sin. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. That's why I'm at. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Well, if you just raise your hand, maybe just offer a prayer like this. Jesus, I'm giving you my life right now. I believe you died on that cross for me, that you lived the perfect life because I couldn't, and that you make it possible for me to know you and have my sins forgiven. I'm placing my faith in you as my Lord and Savior today. God, I pray for others who maybe They've already done that, but they're kind of the prodigal son or daughter today. And I'm praying that today they will return to you. A father who's waiting for them to embrace them and to restore that relationship again. And if that's you, maybe just offer a prayer like this. Jesus, I've wandered, but I'm back. And I thank you that you're willing to give me a second chance. God, thank you for all that you do for us, for the series that we've learned from this, this guy that lived many, many years ago. But there's so much that's relevant to our lives today. Now I pray as a church, God, that we would, we would lift each other up, pray for each other, encourage one another. In the name of Jesus, amen.